You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. So the Lord knows. But uh, turn back to the book of Galatians, please. We've been talking a little bit about why are you the way that you are? Why are your loved ones, the people you care about, why are they the way that they are? And uh, in looking at the four temperaments, we were born a certain way. We were born with certain uh, weaknesses and and strengths. And these are things that, um, you know, I believe the the core of these temperaments are hardwired in us. We don't, uh, you know, so, so many times people want to talk about changing. Well, we're not changing the temperament, but what we're doing is, so in other words, we're not changing who God made made us to be, but we're allowing God, the Spirit of God, and that's being who God wants us to be, who we were made to be. And the only way we can be that is, of course, number one, by being saved. Uh, But just being saved in and of itself is not enough for you to all of a sudden only only have your strengths uh, come through your temperament. Anybody agree with that? Uh, Being saved, but now that's key because when we're saved by God's grace, we, one of the things we always got to remember, I try to remind people of this because it seems like Christians can forget this. We still have our old nature. The Bible talks very clearly about it. Uh, the old mat will be there until Jesus comes. Uh, our old nature will always be there. Uh, but we've been given a new nature. So actually, as a, as a, as a child of God, we have a dual nature. We, and the Bible calls it the old man and the new man. Uh, the Bible calls it, talks about, uh, you know, t- taking off the old man like a garment, putting on the new man. And so we have a dual nature. And so the way that we make sure that our old nature isn't what dominates us is by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to control our thoughts and our lives and so forth. And that's really where the, the power comes from. By We're saved. We got saved by God's grace. The Holy Spirit of God moved on the inside, gave us a new nature. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So uh, isn't it wonderful to be saved? And I don't know about you. And I know, you know, I always try to be mindful of the fact that people get saved under, under certain, uh, under different conditions. Everyone's saved the same way. No, there's not, there's only one way to be saved. And that's by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think sometimes for some of us, we can, we can forget or maybe we take for granted the fact that if you were saved in a solid Bible preaching church and right away people started taking you under their wing and teaching you the scripture, you started growing and bearing fruit because of that versus someone that perhaps uh, just happened to hear a Billy Graham uh, message or something or pick up a gospel track somewhere. I, you know, I've known a couple people. I knew a guy in uh, Elk Point or in, when I lived in uh, Pierre and he was uh, uh, driving a grain truck and just happened to look over in the old farm truck and there was a, a gospel track sitting over there. And so he just sat there while he was waiting for the truck, for the tractor to come back or whatever it was and sat there and re- read it, read on the back there how you can accept Christ. Right then and there he sec- accepted Christ. The point that I'm trying to make is this. He would not have the same rate of growth. He would be changed. He'd be just as changed. I mean, every, every man who accepts Christ is a new creature. However, um, sometimes we... We, if we're not careful, we can compare ourselves, and that can happen in, in a couple of different ways. You can doubt your salvation because you can think, wow, well, I wasn't that fired up, and, you know, right away when I got saved as far as uh, being so involved in church because you may not have had a good, you know, a true sound. Maybe it, there's, because there's churches out there that'll, that'll preach enough gospel to where people can trust Christ, but 
maybe not preach enough truth and doctrine to really help people get established and so forth. But regardless of that, I hope that you remember when you were saved, because I still remember, I still believe that when you trust Christ, it's, 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 a, it's a moment in time that, that, there, that there, there is a change that takes place. There is something you can go back to or a time you can go back to or a place. Uh, you know, you'll hear me oftentimes say the date that I was saved. I don't even do that as much as I, I used to because uh, you, I had so many people coming to me uh, and that, that, as soon as I'd say the date I was saved, that would freak them out because they didn't know the date they were saved. And then they were thinking, oh my goodness, well, am I really saved? <laughs> so you don't have to know the date. Uh, I just happened to know the date. And, uh, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I found out it was a day or two off. But the, the, the point is, is I think it's a good thing to celebrate spiritual birthdays. I think it's a good thing to do. I encourage people to do that, but that's another story. I'll digress just to say this much, that you get saved by God's grace, and there's a change that takes place. There's that new nature. All of a sudden, there's some sort of change deep inside that takes place in your life. And now, but that, again, doesn't mean that your old nature is gone. The way that we begin to see these strengths, the way we begin to be the man, the woman, the, the person that God made us to be is when the Spirit of God, when we allow the Spirit of God, everybody who's saved by God's grace has the Spirit of God. At the moment you're saved, the Bible says you're baptized with the, with the Holy Spirit. You are uh, put into Christ by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is within you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, the Bible says in Romans 8, you are none of his. However, the Bible warns about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is within every child of God, but is, he, is every child of God filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Absolutely not. And the, and the main idea behind being Spirit-filled is being surrendered, under the control, allowing God. Uh, one of the best pictures I thought, you know, you often hear about contain, somebody talks, we think of being filled like a, a glass or something. You fill a glass. Um, and that, that's not a terrible picture of what it means to be filled, but it's not the best picture. I think a better picture, in my opinion, is the way that wind would fill the sails on a sailboat. And then all of a sudden, that wind fills those sails, and, the, and then the wind, uh, and then, then, the, then the boat is directed in a certain way. And that's kind of more, I believe, of what the feeling is. It's, it's God's Spirit blowing and us setting up our cell and saying, Okay, Lord, that's the way I'll go. And we know the direction. We talked about Wednesday night. Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. We get into the word of God. We, we, we surrender to the word of God. We surrender to the will of God. And I believe that's really the essence of what it is to be spirit-filled. Uh, surrender to God. Holding nothing back. Allowing him to have his will in his way. And when he... And when we do that, and I will say this, this is not, salvation is a one-time thing. Being spirit-filled is not a one-time thing. Because um, if you go back to the analogy of a glass or a cup or a pitcher or something, somebody said it this way, we leak. <laughs> we leak. Uh, which is just simply to say uh, that we don't always have our sails set in the direction where God can move us. Sometimes we have them down or whatever else. We, we're wanting to go in our own way. So one of the keys and we'll see this as we're studying in, Wednesday, in Colossians on Wednesday night. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you get over to Colossians 2, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so forth. So I believe part of the spirit-filled life is to have a scripture-filled life. Letting God fill our hearts and minds with the scripture and then being obedient and surrendering to that which God reveals to us. So the spirit-filled life, the, the fruit of the spirit, God's spirit working through us. And that's, that's the answer to our weaknesses. And so without any further introduction, look in Galatians chapter number 5 once again. And I think I, I would like to just once again to remind us of the battle that we have here. Verse number 16 of Galatians 5. This I say then, walk in the spirit. And let's talk about that spirit-filled life. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So it's saying that the, the flesh lusteth one way, and then it's really saying there that the, that the spirit lusts in a different way. I want to pause right there just because I've said this many times, but it, it still is something that, again, within our vernacular, we think, when we think of lust, we think of one thing generally. One thing. However, uh, that's not what the Bible's talking about. L what's another word for lust? Desire. Desire. That's all it is. So when it's saying that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, it's saying that the, that the flesh desires to go opposite of the spirit. The spirit desires to go opposite of the flesh. So the lusting here is desire. It's not all sexual desire. It's just desire. It's what you want, what you would like, what you're desiring. Okay, and so... It goes on to say, um, verse number 18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So when we talk about these, this is what we find in our old nature. Adultery, fornication. It is interesting, I must say, as I should add uncleanness and lasciviousness to this, that oftentimes when you get to these biblical lists, sexual sins are the first ones mentioned so often. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Out of, all the, out of all the things that we're warned about, the sins that are offered in this world, you think about drugs, you think about alcohol, you think about, um, I don't know, gambling, whatever it is that, that people kind of get addicted to and go toward, none of those things were put into us by God. Sexual desire is put into us. That's a part of our makeup, all right, uh, which God put there. And it's an awesome, wonderful, beautiful thing. But the, the problem is, is that that's one of the things that Satan tries to pervert and our old nature tries to pervert. That's why there's often the warnings against adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are the works of the flesh. But I'm glad within the bonds of holy matrimony that, uh, that sex is, uh, is created. I mean, it's created, yes, for procreation, but it's created for absolute enjoyment uh, between a husband and a wife, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But again, the devil and the world, uh, if you think, sometimes it almost seems like more than anything they try to pervert that. They try to pervert the marriage relationship. I, uh, you know, in the world today because, and I'm not really getting off topic here, I'm staying right on topic because when we're talking about the, the, the flesh and the spirit, the way we get filled with the Spirit is through the Word of God. In other words, this is what we're putting into our minds. This is what we're putting into our hearts. 
But man, we gotta be so careful of the things of this world. I, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, so I don't have the numbers before me, but if you looked at the percentage of relationships on television or movies that take place between unmarried people uh, living together, I mean, it is out of this world. It's out of this world. And what we, what, what, what we, if, if we get that program that into our minds enough, it just starts to become more normal to us, more accepted. It's almost like with, uh, I forget the, uh, uh, the, the numbers on that, the same things with drinking, you know, uh, how often casual drinking. Drinking is thrown into so many television scenes. And I'm telling you, it's all strategic. There's people investing and into these things. It's all strategic. But uh, I just say, be careful about what you're putting into your heart and your mind. Um, we can't get too aggravated if our minds are going crazy when we're filling our minds with garbage. Uh, some of us has filled our minds with garbage from the past, and I believe God can help us get victory over that. But I'm telling you, those things will still rear their heads. It's an amazing thing. But through, I believe through um, you know, spiritual warfare, God can help us to address some of those things too, and at the very least not be controlled by those things. It's not that we may not, uh, a thought may come into our mind, but... As, as maturing Christians, as soldiers of Christ, we should, we should know how to combat these thoughts and these reminders, these triggers, uh, a lot more uh, carefully and successfully. But he goes on to say, these other sins of the flesh, works of the flesh, verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, um, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And that's what we looked at over the last couple of weeks was these three fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Uh, and how is it that we're going to be what God, the person who God made us to be? It's through the Holy Spirit of God. How will we look and, and, and begin to see the strengths of our temperament on, a, on more display than our weaknesses? It's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't mean, I just want to reiterate here, I'm not saying, okay, so are you saying, Pastor, I get filled with the Holy Spirit of God and all those weaknesses are gone? No, no, not at all. They're still there. But what happens is we can begin to uh, catch those weaknesses when they begin to persist and we can turn to the Lord and get help with these things. So we talked about love, joy, and peace. This week we're going to look at the fourth uh, temperament trait uh, of the Spirit uh, is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is kind of what it sounds like. Uh, it's, it's patience. It's endurance. A very simple definition of long-suffering is to suffer long. Uh, Long-suffering involves the ability to bear injuries or suffer reproof or affliction without answering uh, in, uh, in turn. The same, and, and you know, uh, like the Bible says about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when he was reviled, the Bible says he reviled not again. He reviled not again. He, he displayed long-suffering. A long-suffering person is, is one who can do the mental, or I'm sorry, the menial, forgotten, and difficult task of life without complaining or seething, but graciously as unto the Lord. This person finishes a task uh, or suffers affronts while manifesting the love of the Spirit of Christ. So, uh, long-suffering. 
This is uh, something that, again, you know, you think when we get back to the temperaments and everything, I guess all temperaments could suffer with or battle with this, all these in a certain way, but which temperaments do you think would struggle the most with suffering long, with being patient, with enduring being wronged, enduring difficulties, and being able to just keep on going with a good attitude? Which, what temperaments do you think would struggle with that the most? Choleric, absolutely, uh, because it's short, it's right now, we're not, I'm not putting up with anything. And, <laughs> right? And, and, and the tough part is uh, that, again, that's so ingrained. But now, so can, can a choleric person display long-suffering? Absolutely they can, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We didn't delve into this part of this study that deeply. almost wish we would have, but looking at how Jesus would display all four temperaments. Jesus had all four temperaments on display, uh, but of course with him it was always strength because he had no sin. But Jesus displayed long-suffering. Um, so, uh, but through the, through the help of the Lord, long-suffering. And I'll tell you, we talk about choleric, but I don't personally know as much about choleric as far as in experience, but I can know for myself long-suffering, even for the, for the sanguine, this could be a battle. Uh, you know, uh, suffering, difficult task of life without complaining, doing menial, forgotten difficult task. I mean, long-suffering, just being able to get in there and work without any credit because sanguine wants credit. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be appreciated. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure we could look at melancholy. We could probably look at phlegmatic as well as maybe uh, all of them finding this a weakness. But I, I agree that choleric probably would be at the top of that list. All right, the next fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering and then gentleness. Gentleness. This is a kindness or a goodness which makes it almost synonymous with the sixth characteristic of the Spirit. But, but it's a tender-heartedness. It's thoughtful, polite, gracious, uh, considerate acts of kindness. Uh, the world in which we live uh, knows little of such tenderheartedness. It is the result of compassion of the Holy Spirit for lost and dying humanity. Gentleness, goodness. I mean, this is a, a kindness, a caring toward other people. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, to genuinely care for others. Now, there are, again, a couple of the temperaments that that's more of a strength but some that it's not so much. And again, I think a choleric, I suppose, because they don't generally, uh, kindness is not normally at the top of the list and, and empathy and sympathy and so forth. However, uh, Jesus does give everyone the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. The hurrying, bustling, and pressurized life we live in today teams, uh, tends to make it, um, make some of the finest Christians annoyed at the interruptions of little people, so to speak. Little people, little things. Um, you know, somebody along the way that, 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 that's getting, getting in your way, slowing down your progress. You've got something you're trying to accomplish. But I, do you remember with the Lord Jesus, uh, you think about when the, when, when the children were trying to, try to come see Jesus, and people, of course, always were trying to come see Jesus. But I remember the children in particular, and, you know, the disciples were like, you serious? Get these kids out of here. Jesus, this, is, this is the Christ. You know, this is, Jesus is kind of a big deal here, and he don't have time for these kids right now. But, of course, Jesus said, no, 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 you, you, you bring those kids to me. And, I mean, and I tell you, just such a beautiful picture because, um, for one thing, I don't know if anybody could actually play, portray Christ 
that great. You know, I mean, I, I've never seen a portrayal of Christ in a movie or anything that I've thought, well, that's it. Uh, because if, you know, the older movies, he's always this stoic, uh, serious. I mean, if he smiled, his face would just break right in two or something, you know, a guy. Uh, and it's like, well, that's not him. Cause I, but then, then, then you get some of the modern renditions, and he is a happy guy. But then he almost seems like a goofball, you know. And it's like, but again, I, I would not envy anybody trying to portray Jesus Christ in the film. I think it's impossible. But I'll tell you this. It does give a different picture of Christ because he loved the kids. Amen. He, he, I believe he laughed with them. I believe he played with them. I believe he teased them. And, but, but the point is this, he was gentle, he was caring, he was tenderhearted. He didn't have the, the attitude as if he didn't have time for these people that to others didn't seem very important. But I think these are some of the, the manifestations of gentleness. This gentle characteristic of the Holy Spirit never asks some of these things, like Peter asked, how often must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? The, the, the fruit of gentleness doesn't need to ask that question. Or should I forgive a brother who does not ask for forgiveness? Now again, understand, those are all legitimate questions, but when we're asking those questions because we're trying to get out of having forgive somebody or put up with somebody. Uh, or isn't there a limit to how much a person can stand? <laughs> See, the Holy Spirit is able to give gentleness in the face of all kinds of pressure. And uh, Jesus, who possessed, of course, I mean, he, uh, Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Father in one. But uh, when, we, when we think about him, I like the picture that he gives as a shepherd, gently caring for easily injured, distracted, and wandering sheep. Through, uh, the, the, uh, through his followers, uh, he tenderly still wants to show that same type of uh, mercy and grace toward others, a shepherd. Um, anybody ever tended to sheep? I've never tended to sheep, uh, but I've heard tending to sheep is not, you know, like they're, you know, they're, 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 they're calm and nice and everything like that, but they're no fun to keep. They're always wanting to wander off. I heard it's really hard to keep them corralled. It's hard to keep them, um, together. Uh, you know, there's all these things that we know about sheep, but Jesus said that we're sheep but still, he shows patience. He shows gentleness. And then the sixth one, again, that's uh, similar to gentleness is uh, goodness. Goodness. The sixth characteristic, goodness. Now, this is, again, generous or uh, generousness of self and possessions. It is benevolence in its purest sense. It includes hospitality and all acts of goodness that flow from an unselfish heart that is more interested in giving than receiving. Paul told Titus that he should preach so those who have believed in God would be careful to maintain good works. To be good, to show goodness toward other people. More interesting in uh, being good and doing good to others than they are receiving. Now, I believe that really, by, by nature, we're, we can all be very selfish people. And we need to be reminded by the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to occupy ourselves with goodness. This characteristic describes a person who is more interested in doing for others than for self. Now, there's no doubt all four of the natural temperaments are prone to be selfish and inconsiderate. All need this trait of goodness. 
It's particularly needed by those with melancholy tendencies as a cure for depression and gloom caused by an overindulgence in self-centered thought patterns. Uh, anybody identify with that? I mean, you can get so thinking about yourself. And it's funny because you don't, you don't think of yourself as a selfish person, but if you just cannot quit thinking about yourself and your issues and, and how you were wronged or, or whatever else, uh, but, but goodness is, is the fruit of the Spirit that can help you understand that. I, I, I remember a particularly uh, a, a friend of mine that uh, when I lived in Pier that really uh, very melancholy uh, person really uh, was, would get down on himself, down on the world. Because remember, one of the weaknesses of melancholy is they can, man, they can, they can find a problem in everything. I mean, they can find, they can find uh, you know, you can say, boy, look at that beautiful cloud. He said, yeah, look at the gray over there, you know. I mean, it's just like there's, there, there's this uh, thing of being able to find negative in others, negative in themselves, negative in life. And, and he struggled with that, as well as many people that uh, temperament do. But I, I, I encouraged him, and I believe it's what the fruit of goodness is encouraging. Man, go try to find a way. To, go be a blessing to somebody. And I, I feel like there's probably some of you that have, that, have, that have found that to be true. Go find somebody to be a blessing to. Find somebody, you know, instead of just thinking about how bad it is for you, think, you know what, it's probably bad for somebody else, too. Maybe I'll go try to uh, help them out. And, and, and maybe you can't go and help them, but maybe you can call. Maybe you can send a card. Maybe you can say, I want to do something to, uh, to, to, to get off of myself and start getting my eyes out there. That's what goodness does, is it helps us uh, get our eyes off of us and our own problems or even our own interests because we could talk about um, from the melancholy side we can talk about the um, uh, the, the self-centeredness but even or the looking at themselves as far as their own problems overindulging in self-centered thought patterns but it's the same way with all four temperaments uh, focusing on themselves focusing on what's interesting to them at that moment because for a single maybe they're not down on themselves but maybe they're just into themselves uh, you know, and what they're doing is uh, they, they don't want to do anything unless it's going to benefit them. You know, that's one thing you got to be careful about. I mean, I talk about trying to help people, and, and that will make us feel better, but we've got to be careful about that being our motive. It's like there's always a trap, isn't it? There's like a, you can always go too far one way or the other, but when we help people, I think our motive ought to be being a blessing to them. Not, I feel awful. I better go help somebody. And that way I'll make myself feel better. You know, that's the people that, you know, that, uh, that I almost feel, uh, man, I, sometimes I'm reading and got so many different studies going on, I forget what I've said and when I've said it, but I'm just thinking about the idea of the people that, you know, can't do anything without that recognition, can't do anything without making sure, hey, did you see that I, that I did this? And boy, I feel so much better now. Um, and I, I, I feel like sometimes it can almost turn into a, to an ex exploitation of, the poor or the needy because uh, I'm going to get a selfie with them and say hey look at all these terrible people that I helped you know I'm so wonderful and good and I don't know once I started seeing that it just started uh, uh, it just it just turned your stomach you know because it's like okay I'm glad you're doing good and making yourself feel better uh, but shouldn't the main motive be 
helping these people. Um, you know, athletes, uh, there are a lot of athletes that do go, um, man, I, I, there's, you know, great stories of athletes that will go into hospitals and places like that uh, without any press, any cameras with them, and they're just really trying to go be a blessing and help people. Uh, there's a ton of people like that, thank God in the world. Uh, but then there's the others, you know, that they go, but they're only going to go if the cameras are there. So, uh, but again, go, go try to be a blessing to somebody. Main thing is be good. Try to be good to somebody. Um, do something nice for somebody else. And you know the thing about goodness, I think, and I may be getting ahead of myself, but when it comes to acts of goodness and the fruit of the spirit of goodness, it's just like with gentleness, the kindness. What, how hard is it to be kind? How hard is it to be good? How hard is it just to say a nice word? How hard is it to, to hold a door for someone? How, how hard is it just to, to tell somebody that uh, they're doing a good job? You know, I mean, it, it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't do anything. Just recognize somebody for something they've done. Do good to somebody. Be kind to someone. I'm amazed at the small acts of kindness because uh, I'm convicted for not doing more acts of kindness. But I'm amazed at some of the, the, the small acts of kindness that I've done around that impact people so much. I've just done some of the smallest little thing to where I know I should have done so much more, but years later they'll be talking about, man, I remember when you came by, and I remember when you did this or that, and I'm just, and again, I, I don't get pride out of that because I'm just thinking, well, man, I'm glad you feel that way because I know that I should have done a lot more. Um, but, it's, but the point that I'm trying to make is this. It's amazing how far a kind word can go. It's amazing. It almost goes back to what Chad said, taking God's name in vain, those people, that sticks with you. But what if it was a person that was being kind? What if it was a person that was being good? What if it was a person that was honoring God and, and, a, and a person that other people would sit and listen to and be like, wow, this guy's different. You know, there's something um, nice about this person. Oh, God bless you. Man, maybe that's what it is. I bet he's a Christian. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a good testimony. Many Christians have cheated themselves out of a blessing by not obeying the Holy Spirit's inspired impulse to do something good or kind for someone else. Um, I don't know, man. I just got to stop there. And I think about the people that have been good to me through the years. I, I really want to try to be good to people. I, I really want to try to do stuff without expecting anything in return. I, I remember... I just can't help but go back to the people that helped me when I first got saved. And again, I, uh, you know, we, I, I didn't have a vehicle. I, I didn't have, I really didn't have much money. I was a teenager when I got saved. And again, you know, just we were uh, poor by America's standards and didn't have a lot. But I'm so glad for the people that were kind to me, for the people that would uh, take me places, for the people that would... Uh, you know, do without expecting things in return. They, they were doing something. I had nothing to offer these people. I had nothing to offer these people. I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, just a, I'm just a little kid or a teenager, but um, I don't know. You're not getting anything out of my family. You don't, you don't drive, they didn't come pick me up at my house and say, man, I bet maybe his parent, maybe we'll get his parents saved and they'll give a big offering. <laughs> I promise you, they didn't think any of that stuff. Uh, there was nothing they could have been thinking, but I'm telling you, just the people in that church, Harvest Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina, were so kind, so good, uh, did so much, just treated me like family. And that's why, you know, just God's blessed me with, with such, so, so much of that through the years. You know what it makes you want to do? It just makes you want to be kind to somebody else. It just makes you want to, uh, it, it makes you want to have something 
and maybe just give something to somebody. I, I, know, I know people, you know anybody like, I mean, I know Christians that they, they, and listen, I know there's value to teaching people that stuff costs money and work for something. Don't misunderstand me when I say this. But uh, they, they couldn't give anything away. I've, I've known Christians that would have stuff given to them. I know a preacher, he'd have something given to him, and then he'd turn around and try to sell it to you. I'm like, really, dude? Uh, but, you know, there, there's been times, and I thank God for my precious wife, you know, because she'll even remind me sometimes, I'll be like, yeah, I said, I, well, I think I'm going to sell, sell this to so-and-so. Uh, they're interested in it. She's like, do you really need to sell it? Why don't we just give it to them? You know, and I'll be like, you know what? You're right. Uh, and because it does it just, and, and don't, I'm not against selling stuff. Please don't misunderstand what the context of what I'm telling you right here. But I'm just saying there's times I may look at just somebody and say, you know what? Just take it. You know, I mean, the Bible says freely you've been given, freely give. Uh, you're going to say, oh, preacher, man, I was going to sell that more, and now I don't know if you tell me how to give it. No, I'm not telling you. you got to give you more away. I'm just telling you that, uh, that there's times that maybe God would just lay on your heart to say, you know what? Don't even worry about it. I'm just going to give it to you. Other times, charge, make money. It's not, nothing wrong with that. Um, but there's times that we can just give. We can just give. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, that wasn't in my notes, and so I lost where I was at in my notes. Instead of uh, bringing joy to someone else's life by the act of kindness, the self-centered person stifles the impulse and seeks deeper and deeper into the slough of despondency and gloom. <laughs> you know, there's the old saying, uh, I don't think it's the worst advice. Somebody says, give till it hurts. I, I do think that we ought to learn to sacrificially give, but I think if we learn to sacrificially give the right way, we'll learn to give till it feels good. Not until it hurts. But sometimes you got to get past that hurting part to find out that it feels good uh, to give. It really does. But if you don't, sometimes you, your greed can, uh, uh, again, and I'm not just talking about financial giving. Uh, I'm talking about just even service or not just giving something away, but even giving away our time and our, our care to someone else. It is one thing to get good impulses. It's quite another to transmit them into acts of goodness. D.L. Moody once stated that it was his custom after presenting himself to the Holy Spirit and asking to be led by the Holy Spirit to act upon the impulses that came to mind, provided they did not violate any known truth of Scripture. Generally speaking, that's a good rule to follow, for it pays rich dividends in mental health in the life of the giver. So goodness, gentleness. Uh, what about long-suffering, gentleness, goodness? Any questions or comments on those so far? Any clarifications? All right. Uh, good. All right, then uh, the next one is uh, faith. Faith. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. The seventh trait involves a complete abandonment to God. Faith, faith is not just believing. Faith is believing. Faith is acting. Faith is doing. Faith is an action word. Um, faith. Now, faith obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it is the perfect antidote to fear, which causes worry, anxiety, and pessimism. If you're a melancholy person and you feel like I'm picking on you today, I feel like I'm picking on you today too, but I'm mostly going off my notes, amen? It's not just your paranoia this time, uh, uh, but I'm just going off my notes, worry, anxiety, pessimism, but that's, it's not only the melancholy temperament uh, that deals with that. Um, believe me, 
But some com commentators suggest that faith here in Galatians involves more than faith in God. It involves faithfulness or dependability. And I believe that's what it is. It's faithfulness. It's dependability. That's what kind of faith the Bible's talking about right here. It's a vital... Uh, uh, in a vital way, faith is the key to many of the other Christian graces. If we really believe God is able to supply our needs, our faith will nurture peace and joy and crowd out our doubt, fear, striving, and many other works of the flesh. Faith, man, faith is what makes such a difference in the life of the child of God. Many of God's people, like the nation of Israel, uh, waste 40 years, as the children of Israel did, out in the desert of life because they do not believe God. Far too many Christians have a grasshopper vision. And you've heard me reference that many times. Numbers 13, verse 33, where the, where the spies come out back and said, Man, there were giants over there. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we're like grasshoppers in our eyes. But the problem is that Faith, faith puts its uh, eyes on God and attention on God. Doubt puts its attention on ourselves and the things that we see around us, the giants, the things that are greater than us, ourselves and our own weaknesses. You know, and by the way, isn't it interesting? They came back and said, yep, those giants thought we were grasshoppers. How did they know that? What made them think that? Those giants didn't say, hey, you look like a bunch of grasshoppers over there. Remember, they were spying out the land. But they let this mentality get into their minds, and they begin to think of themselves as inadequate. And the truth is, they were inadequate in and of themselves. But they weren't over there in and of themselves. They were where God told them to be. So the fruit of the Spirit is faith. You say, man, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you can't on your own. But if God said you can, you can. Amen. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And that, that's faith. Amen. That's faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But what those spies did, what the children of Israel did, they jumped to a faithless conclusion. Anybody ever done that? Jumped to a faithless conclusion. Unbelief, which causes fear, always limits God's use of a life. And we'll talk about that more perhaps at a different time, but the Bible teaches, of course, that there's two sources of faith. I've already said that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And then second, the Holy Spirit has made, uh, is made clear in Galatians 5.22 that through the Spirit of God, once again, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God produces fruit. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is faith. The fruit of the Word of God is faith. These, th this is it. If your temperament is conducive to doubts, indecision, fear, then as a believer, you can look to the filling of the Holy Spirit of God to give you a heart of faith that will dispel emotions and actions of your human nature. It may not happen overnight. Habits are like binding chains. But God will give us the victory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just wait. If, if it does happen overnight, we don't quit. We just keep on progressing. And when those, the, the weaknesses of our temperament repeatedly keep 
rearing their ugly heads, we just once again go to God and go to the Spirit and say, okay, Lord, I'm doubting again. I'm being self-centered again. I'm being angry again. I'm being impatient again. Lord, help me. God, help us not to excuse it. Not to excuse it, but to confess it. And not beat ourselves up over it either. Just say, okay, Lord, this is my temperament. God, you know, please forgive me. Help me to through, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to display the fruit that you would have me to display. And then lastly, I'll uh, give you for today, meekness. Meekness. The, eight, the eighth uh, temperament trait of the Holy Spirit is fill, filling uh, is meekness. The natural person is proud, haughty, arrogant, egotistical, and self-centered. But the Holy Spirit fills the heart of that person. He, that person becomes humble, mild, submissive, and easily entreated by the Holy Spirit of God. Again, being meek doesn't mean that you'll be pushed around necessarily. That's not what meekness really is uh, because meekness will stand in the face of opposition if, if, if somebody came in here and said you got to quit preaching the gospel to do so uh it would be not be meekness for me to just say oh okay well i don't want to uh, rock the boat you know that's not what we're talking about here but it is a submissiveness to the word of god a, a service to others it, it's it's a power you think about jesus christ the creator of mankind was buffeted ridiculed abused and spat on by his creation the creator of the universe was willing to humble himself to take on the form of a servant and become uh, subject to the whims of humanity, even to the point of death, a humiliating death that we might, or sorry, that he might purchase our redemption by his blood. He said of himself, Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 29, I am meek and lowly in heart. His meek spirit is especially evident in the hours of his suffering. Think about when he could have prayed in Matthew 26 for uh, legions of angels to come destroy the world, to come and rescue him. This kind of meekness, just like this kind of faith, just like this kind of goodness, just like this kind of gentleness, just like this kind of long-suffering, folks, is not natural. It's supernatural. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, that, that's not me. Well, that's kind of the point. It's not you. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I, I think about the, the verses came to my mind, and I, I need to re remember the reference to it. But the Bible talked about uh, how the children of Israel, maybe in Psalm 78, but the Bible says that the children of Israel, it said that they limited, they limited the Holy One of Israel. I think that's just an amazing statement. The, the God, the Creator, the all-powerful God that through our disobedience, through our lack of faith, we can limit God. God wants to do great things in our life, but he's only, He can only do those things in our lives. He's made it to where He can only do those things in our lives if we are willing to humble ourselves and say, God, I want to die to the flesh, and I want to live uh, through, and the, and the Spirit of God to live through my heart and through my life. Whatever our weaknesses are, whatever our strengths may be, I'm telling you, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that we can become the people that we ought to be. Now, I guess in closing, I'll just say something I've said all along in this study. Don't, one of the main things is, do not allow yourself to excuse your behavior because of your temperament. And don't just say, well, that's just the way it is. That's my temperament type. Yep, preacher said I was going to be angry all the time. I'm cleric. You know, 
I'm, I'm saying when preacher said I had no self-control and I was just going to give any, any temptation that came along, I mean, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, I mean, melancholy, uh, uh, phlegmatic the same way. No, we don't excuse it. We just say, you know what? We, we identify it and we say, okay, Lord, help me. Help me, help me, help me. <laughs> Bring out that strength, but help me, Lord, on this, weak, on this weakness to have more meekness, to have more goodness, to have gentleness, to have long-suffering, and, uh, and so forth. All right. Well, uh, any questions or comments before we close out this morning? All right. Well, thank you for your patience this morning. Uh, all right, we'll see finish that part of it up uh, next week. I'm going to got something pretty fun coming up, I believe, for the the next uh, Sunday school uh, session between here and uh, winter uh, coming up. I'm, like I said, I got a few more of these I'm going to do, but we'll be transitioning after that. Tell you more about that later. Hey, we're going to have an acoustical Sunday. We started off in Sunday school this morning, and uh, we're going to have an acoustical Sunday today. And so it's going to be exciting. All right. Uh, all right. God bless you. See you back in just a little bit.